are with the Dhamma Bums podcast. It's been a while. It's been Happy quite a New while. Happy New Year! Woo! Yeah. First oh. Dharma Bums podcast of 2018. Oh, it's 2018? Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is... Yeah, yeah, I know. But the good news is, is that all the world's problems have been solved. Um, oh, good. Our great our leader hooked it great up. Leader. Mm-hmm. It only took him a year. The fastest <laughs> any president has fixed all the world's problems uh, by far. It's and Diet Coke that does it. It is, and that and Diet Coke, yep. Uh, and, his, and, and Big Macs. So <laughs> really, you know, now we can just sing Kumbaya, and, and this podcast serves very little purpose. But that's okay. I'll, I'll take it. That's okay. You know, actually, I was um, I was listening to NPR a little bit earlier, and they they had a story on. There's been um, eleven different school shootings at schools, or is it no eighteen? I don't know, something like that. No, twenty yeah, twenty four days into the year, there's already been like eighteen school shootings. Holy fuck! They're not all like mass shootings. There's like. You right, know, it's one person shot or whatever, but I mean, just a normal shooting, you know. Yeah, just a normal shit, you know. Not there's <laughs> one really bad one, and then the rest of them, but it's just crazy, right? Yeah, it's fucked up. Well, that's like that in Iowa, the guy that was passing out the white nationalist propaganda that they've been looking for was caught at, on a school campus, essentially uh, passing out propaganda on windshields. And uh, he, they arrested him not for the propaganda, but he had a concealed gun. Yeah. Where was he when he was arrested? It was at. It's called a, like the Brady Street Stadium. It's uh, it's a stadium that a lot of schools use, but it's affiliated with a specific school, so it's like school grounds. Okay. And he was, he. It's weird. He's. I'm so glad they found him, but he uh, he'd kind of wait and see if the person was white. And so, like, a car would pull in, and he'd make sure they were white. And then when nobody was looking, he'd run up and put a flyer in their windshield. <laughs> and, like, and now we have a face to go with his atrocious, atrocious graphically designed uh, posters that are full of typos. And they don't use the Oxford comma. Oh, my God. So, basically, and, the poster child for, for white nationalism. And, really presenting yeah, putting yeah, the, yeah. the white race's best foot forward with... Uh, with his lovely pamphlets and and incredible bravery. <laughs> I'm just I'm just glad. I'm trying to get him on Facebook blast just so that when people see him they know like to spit in his food or whatever. <laughs> I just don't get the And uh, we were talking about it. No, no, you, you go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, we were talking about it a little bit in some of the classes earlier today and and then people are like beat him up and I was like no, no, <laughs> you don't have to. Just Tell everybody who he is and then point and laugh and don't sell him burritos or whatever, you know, like just refuse his service and just serve him. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, or spitting in the coffee or whatever, you know, that, yeah, that too, or other things. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that, I think generally, you know, like beating up Nazis is probably a bad tactic for a lot of reasons, right. including creating martyrs and, right. and sympathy. Know, it's just, yeah, yeah. And and it's just, you know, you could hurt your fist also. Um, <laughs> Maybe. He looks he like a soft arrested. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just not a good it's not a good overall strategy. I mean, now in, you know, if the if the Nazis or the white nationalists are attacking you, you should probably fight back or whatever, but you know, Yeah, I think or if they're getting aggressive with other violence. people, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen some of that at those, you know, I've I've watched the video footage in uh 
you know, with the Tiki Torch guys. And there was, they were initiating <laughs> some violence, you know, and I, I don't know. It's, it's such a weird, we just live in the weirdest time. I, I never thought we'd live in a time like this. And if, if you, 10 years ago, someone had said, yeah, there'd be giant, like white nationalist rallies and Donald Trump would be president. And we, you know, I just, I would have just laughed because it's, it's a ludicrous. I think Kurt Cobain said that the millennials were going to elect somebody like Donald Trump. So oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a direct quote. <laughs> wow. I, well, I don't think they called them millennials at that time when he was alive, but yeah. he said that we're going to, that the country's going to be surprised and they're going to elect somebody weird like Donald Trump. Huh. It's like, oh, shit. prescient. Well, he didn't have to stick around right. to see it all, I guess. So, right. Maybe he was like a, one of those psyche kind of a, a person that had that intuition. That's why he blew his head off. <laughs> it's like, it only goes downhill from here. Gotta, <laughs> right. Gotta get off this crazy train. Yeah. 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 It, I wonder what, it, I, I often wonder like if Kurt Cobain and like Shannon Hoon and those guys hadn't died. You know, would they have continued making records? Like, would their music still be good? Oh. Would it would would we we look at them like so differently now? You know, out of those people that are like, I have this whole like idea about the the musicians that die young is that they know they see, especially like the drug users um, and addicts and stuff like Brad Noel from Sublime. They they kind of see their impending death, so they produce a whole bunch of content. And maybe it was the amphetamines yeah. too, but which also helped produce <laughs> content. But <laughs> it, I think that they kind yeah. of like produce their whole life's work essentially in a few years. And then if they live to longer than that, they kind of end up like uh, George Clinton or something, this like obscure weirdo who can't remember his lyrics, like Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> or something like that. You know? yeah, they get on reality TV. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fate worse than death. <laughs> <laughs> But it pays yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah, like Jim Morrison. I don't I yeah, I mean none of these none of those people were like they they just were they were living too hard to uh to sustain it. Right. And it's not like we haven't lived pretty hard. It's just I don't know. I guess you got to have a little bit of like self-control here and there. <laughs> you know. I honestly yeah. I, I don't know how I honestly don't know how people just abuse drugs or alcohol to that extent, because I find it, you know, while I like to drink and I like all that kind of stuff, I just, I find myself getting tired. I just can't keep going. You know, I never have really been able to just keep going. Like some people can, I don't know. Maybe it's just a uh, different chemicals. I give, I get too bored. I, yeah. with one substance or whatever, or, you know, your dealer goes to jail or something. <laughs> and it's like, I could go out and find another one, but it's like, fuck it. I'm just gonna try whatever's coming in town on the next train. So well, see, there's the problem. If if you're a rich rock star, you don't need to worry about like access to dealers. There's always access right. to everything. You got some money, and yeah, or, I, I or like, like rich um, housewives. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Opioids and Valium and right. Yeah. And amphetamines. Yeah. And oh, well, obviously amphetamines. Uh, yeah, there's the opioid crisis right now. Did you? The, the administration's been <laughs> working right. really hard on that. Uh, Who who's working hard on it? The Trump administration. Really, oh, really? Really <laughs> working hard on that, by all accounts. What was it? I know they were like, "Don't worry, we've got it under control." Here's one million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Well handled. Checked it off my bucket list. 
I don't remember all the details, but didn't they get, didn't he have like a 24 year old in charge of the whole thing? And like, it, it, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's absurd. Shot. He has no idea what the fuck he's talking about. So any policy he could make or anything without having some expertise behind it is just absurd. Yeah. But to even think that somebody who's wealthy can understand like the opioid epidemic, like recently lost, um, to an overdose, a childhood friend of mine, um, Actually, I went to elementary and junior high, high school with him, and I knew him afterwards. And uh, he had been in the military and served, and and he was injured, and he he became completely dependent, um, wow. and he just didn't really see any value in life. And with the way that fentanyl is now, it's so easy to get a stronger heroin than you think. Mm-hmm or a stronger opioid than you think. And, um, you know, he just, he checked out and to, to think that Donald Trump can really understand what somebody who was a grunt in the military who came from, you know, a, a lower middle-class background, become a, a grunt in the military to never be able to fit back in after the horrors of war to, mm-hmm. to, you know, becoming dependent for pain and for his, you know, sanity on these opioids. I don't, I think it's absurd to think that, a rich white golfer who just drinks Diet Coke can understand anything about substance like that. So, yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, it's, I mean, that they could even understand, you know, what the PTSD and other things that veterans and, and uh, people who've suffered abuse and other things go through. I mean, if, if there was more empathy in our politicians, I think we'd have a very different country for one thing. Definitely. We wouldn't be, that's why you need to read I know, that's, that's why it, it is why you need to read. <laughs> and Donald Trump's illiterate, or he only reads his own <laughs> tweets back again, so he can change them. So he reads the subtitles on Fox News when it's too loud in the room he's in. Right. Except for they have to be like super large scale <laughs> yeah. and slowed down. <laughs> I read. I read the best books. I I honestly can say that I read more than any president in the history <laughs> of the presidency. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it is true though. Reading creates empathy. I, I've 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 thought that for a long time. I think that there's there's so many different ways, and it doesn't really matter what you're reading. You can be reading history, you can be reading science fiction, you can be reading young adult, you can be re- you know you can be reading little you know, little kids books, and it'll actually you know it'll it will help your your uh, empathy. And right. I think that we have you know I think we have a very we have a huge lack of empathy in this country. I, I saw a tweet from Mitch McConnell that that was like, um, it said, uh, one million chip. I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember the exact numbers, but you know, this many chip recipients, or you know, this many DACA. It you know, why can't the Democrats make the right choice? And it's like, why does this have to be a choice? They're right. Not helping children or you know, grownups who were brought here as children. This isn't a choice. Like. That they shouldn't be on the they shouldn't be the bargaining chip. Like, how just, about we give up one obscure military base to fund the, all of that? <laughs> yeah, but we, yeah, but we just stop uh, stop bombing other countries and spending our money on this ridiculous bullshit. Yeah. Stop bombing brown people and uh, welcome globalization and our and our realize that our world is just a small fishbowl. We yep. shouldn't be pissing in it because we're going to be drinking that piss eventually. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just it just seems so callous and out of touch. And then what's crazy to me is all these people. You know, you saw this story of this guy who was deported after thirty 
years in the country, right? Right. He he was, uh, you know, he had a wife, he had kids, he he lived here since he was a small child, and then suddenly he's getting deported, and it's like people are like, well, why didn't he become a citizen? And it's like, well, you know, he tried to become a citizen. It's not always that easy to become a citizen. Also, if you go register to sign up for citizenship classes when you're an illegal immigrant, like yeah, you, they might just find you. Exactly. And deport you. To a country you don't even remember, basically. I mean, there was also that doctor who was like a Polish doctor who... Oh, I thought he was deported. totally legal. No, he had a green card, but he had gotten a mission. He overstayed his visa? or No, he'd, he'd gotten... He was married and everything. He, he, oh, so he had a legal residence? And the they, green card. Yeah, they were like retroactively pulled it. I mean, he's a doctor who like is a popular doctor at a you know at a hospital. Oh and, like, it's like this is not some leech on the system here. I mean, we're talking about somebody who's who we need in this country, and it's so ridiculous, you know? Right. I mean, we need a lot. I mean, that's the thing about immigrants. What people don't realize is a lot of them are working. You know, whether they're right. you know doctors is one thing, but they're working jobs that. A lot of business owners here sure want those people to to be here and working, and they pay they pay taxes and they you know they buy goods. It's it's I don't understand this. I just don't understand the the impulse to just hate immigrants. It's, it well, seems so weird to me. It's because of the blame immigrant thing for all the ills, but that's that's another thing. What the conservatives don't understand is that for the capitalist machine to survive. We need constant and consistent growth, yep. which means having babies. But we're not having babies. So nope. we can either get constant and con consistent growth by immigration or by cloning people. Careful, like, though. Pretty soon, the, the, a lot of those conservatives will say, well, that's because we have too much abortion. But, of course, that's not true. <laughs> yes, and then the handmaid, handmaid's tell will become the reality. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the reason that, that birth rates go down in countries like the United States and European countries is because... Because women have choice. Right, women have choice. They work. And, and people, not just women, but just people in general decide, well, we don't want to have six kids. We want to have two kids. Or some people decide they want no kids or one kid. And, you know, it's you, you move from an agrarian culture to a, to a society that's high tech and you just don't... There's not the same, you don't, you're, you know, you don't have like, I mean, back in the day, you know, the kings and queens of the world would have 13 kids and half of them would die, you know? So you had to have a lot of kids. I mean, it was just a gamble, to, you know, that, that any of them would survive. Nowadays, it's like your chances of your child surviving are very high. You don't need to have 13 kids, you know, you don't need yeah, them to work on the farm. Instead of uh, a worker, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, it's because the people decided that they didn't want to be chattelry anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We were tired of being the uh, the bovine of the elites and established a republic to defend ourselves against those whims. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, then there, then it goes back to um, government policies that impact family. And, you know, if we are really, if we want to encourage more, you know, family building or whatever, it's, it's kind of ludicrous that we have a system where we don't even have universal health care. You don't have any, any sort of paternal leave with, with, for child rearing. There's just nothing, you know, you, you can go to the socialist countries in Scandinavia and they have far, far better pro family policies, you know? Right. So if we want to have more kids, you know, let's not talk about, 
abortion, we should, you know, we should talk about, you know, what makes, what makes it, it's hard to have kids. I mean, you have a brand new kid, you know, it's freaking hard, right? Yep. Like it's time consuming. Yep. It's expensive. It's psychologically draining. It, it takes a lot of effort and it changes your life. And then to, you know, to have no kind of, for a lot of people, there's no safety net there. There's no help there, you know? And right. so it's just, it's a very difficult uh, situation. It's, uh, I, I just don't understand what all these supply side economists think they're, who, who they're going to sell their products to if all the people are poor, sick, dying, or deported. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I know. It's, it's, it, I mean, and it, it, yeah, you can give all those tax cuts back to the super rich, but it's like, if that money is just going into like corporate tax shelters and corporate accounts and it's not being spent and it's not being turned into wages and wage growth, what's it, what's it doing? Like, where's the, what's the investment? And right. that's a huge and problem right now. Th this, this, this bandwagon um, that's happening with these companies saying, we're going to give a bonus because of these tax breaks. We're going to give this because of these yeah. tax breaks. It's like this not meaningful because still the CEO, the difference between the CEO and the janitor is too far. The, the difference between the person who owns the company and the, and the worker who produces the product is still too far. So giving a thousand dollar bonus to somebody who makes $50,000 a year, it's awesome to get an extra thousand bucks, you know, <laughs> but that's nothing compared to the the uh, profits that these companies have been making. And if they can give it now because of these weak, because of these strong tax breaks, why weren't they giving it before when they were having strong, consistent growth? Yeah, exactly. Like corporations had money to prop up the the employee, but they only cared about shareholders and buybacks and this. And that's really where the money is still going to go. Oh yeah, it's not yeah. going to trickle down. I mean, you know, I've I've always kind of believed that that lower business taxes are a good thing, but that we need to balance that by having higher rates on the individual individual earnings. You know, because okay. it's it's like, I think that I can understand where economists are are saying, you know, we want to encourage investment here. We don't want companies moving their operations overseas things like that. Well, that's fine. I get that. And I think that's, that's good. Like, let's, let's keep, let's keep that expense low on business. And there's other countries that do this, you know, even like social democratic countries, but then you right. need to have higher rates on an actual, you know, on people's earnings on these super rich, you know, executives and and, you know, bankers and all these. And not have this pass through that's happening now. Right. Where they get away with such low rates and we need to, we need to work to stop that. And of course that's not going to happen, but you know, I'm all for encouraging business growth and like, you know, and a lot of businesses are, are small businesses and, and I'm all for them having lower taxes so that they can afford to, to run their, their businesses. I mean, there's a, a lot for a lot of businesses, for most businesses, it's not super high margin. It's not, you know, it's not easy. It's, it's, it's difficult to, you know, to have, and, and, Changes, you know, higher taxes can absolutely mean fewer employees and things like that. But when you're getting into these massive multi uh, or international corporations, you know, making billions of dollars and you're trying to give them tax cuts. I mean, come on. It's, well, it's I got I got a segue. Uh, because it is the, the, this 
tax cut is is obviously it's insane. It's not going to do what the trumpets think it's going to do. It's not even there's no um, point for it. Okay, and and a lot of the current administration demonizes what the Obama administration did towards green energy. And the green energy industry is thriving because mm-hmm. of government subsidies, because of protections, because of these things. And then what does Donald Trump do? <laughs> Impose a motherfucking tariff on solar panels. It's just bizarre. <laughs> what the fuck? It's, it's so short-sighted. I think everything that the Trump administration is doing is short-sighted. You know, and we're not even going to see the implications of all these very bad decisions for a while. You know, right. He's still riding on the coattails of the economic recovery we saw under the Obama administration. Right. And and, and then uh, the trumpets are all like, see, the stock market's booming. <laughs> like that's because Trump, I mean, nothing in the first year of a president's tenure should be considered their achievement. You know? Probably not their budget, since they right. haven't passed one. <laughs> right. It's just, yeah, it's 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 stupid. But of course, you know, this is just politics as usual. But yeah, if, I mean, I'm, I'm amazed. On solar panels is insane. Because yeah. all of the small businesses that are building these solar panels, are, they are providing the service to Americans of installing service panel, uh, solar panels. Mm-hmm. They are not manufacturing it. There's a very small number of people that manufacture the solar panel in America. And we right. don't want them to manufacture solar panels here. Yeah. You know, we, we, we want to buy the solar panel that's effective and cheap and our installers locally come and put it on my house or they come and put it on my school. And, and American and, benefit from the from and the savings American. and from the renewable resources, and we build a future around renewables and a lower carbon footprint, and all of that leads to economic prosperity in the long term. And, and it, it it was working well. Yeah. I think that the uh, Obama administration's like green plan was effective. It caused this industry to boom. And now Donald Trump's tariff is just putting like a nail in a, it's not in the coffin, a nail in the tire of uh, green energy because he doesn't have the power to put a nail in the coffin of it because everybody knows that renewables are the future because you don't have to mine for solar. You don't have to mine for wind. You don't have to do all these expensive things to, to get it, especially if you can get your solar panels at a good cost from China. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's really like, if we want to have a future as a human species, we need to, we need to have renewable energy, right? It just seems like a, no, it's not even a, I don't know why it's even a political issue out. I mean, it's not like a conservative versus liberal issue. That's bullshit. That's completely manufactured. It's, it's, I mean, sure. It's a, uh, old guard coal and, and, you know, fossil fuels versus, uh, renewables. But even, I mean, if I were Exxon or any of these companies, I'd be finding ways to invest in renewable energy. Right. I mean, there's no reason that Exxon or any company like Exxon shouldn't be one of the leaders in renewable energy in the future. 
It's like, well, you know, you want to should have been that should. Well, right, exactly. You know, you know, like who should have been at the forefront of digital cameras? Kodak. Kodak right. should have been there, you know, but they they didn't. And what happened? Kodak, I mean, they're still around, but barely, you know, like film is an yeah, is a niche Kodak. product now. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's kind of bare, I think. Um, but you know, like that's that's the kind of thing that's going to happen with fossil fuels. I mean, there's going to come a time when fossil fuels are no longer a tenable resource. And right. if those companies, those massive companies don't invest in that future, you know, they're going to not be massive companies anymore. And of course, you know, it's, it's a win-win if they do, but, right. but if we have politicians who constantly, you know, f- fuck with our ability to have this kind of future, then, then it's, you know, it's just that short-term thinking again. It's very frustrating because it doesn't have to be a political issue. There should be no Republicans versus Democrats versus whatever. You know, this is this is a common sense issue that's been turned into. I feel like a lot of issues are like common sense issues, you know, that are right. just politicized for some reason. Like like healthcare, it's such a common sense issue in so many ways. Uh, but it's been and turned it's into this. sold to this poor Republican base. Yeah. We're like, well, people. those illegal immigrants are going to get free healthcare. It's like, but you're going to get free healthcare too. You stupid hillbilly. Yeah, you know, this this whole thing where like And your grandma I, wouldn't have to have died from a curable cancer. Right. A lot if, of people wouldn't have to die. Right. <laughs> so many people. There's there's this whole idea and it's really weird to me. Um I was on Twitter talking about borders and I, I was kind of taunting people because I was I, I was trolling a bit and I said if you if you believe in you? borders, you can't yeah, I know, right? I said if you believe in borders, then you don't believe in freedom. Um, and of course people were just freaking out. I just got so much backlash, but of course I was kidding because obviously like in practical terms, there have to be borders, but ultimately we would like to live in a world kind of like the United States, right? Where when you drive from Arizona to New Mexico, you cross a border, but you don't have to see men with guns. You know, when you, when you go, you want to go up to Colorado, you can just drive there when you, you know, like that's a pretty nice vision of the future because it's very free. You have a lot of freedom when you have that. Now, obviously we can't do that with Mexico right now because there would, there would be, you know, we we can't, you can't just make that thing happen overnight, but ultimately the most free world I can imagine is one where we don't have the kind of borders we have now. We don't have that kind of clamp down on the ability of people to move to wherever they want to move. You know, like I, I, I think that the, the, if we can move to a more global community, 100%. I, I think a border is not the obscure thing that's on the um, the map, but it's it's the range of the Constitution. Yeah. It's the, it's the range of law. How far does the rule of law stretch? Right. So if we have um, some sort of a global communion like um, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, if we could get a global acceptance of this sort of thing, not in abstract, mm-hmm. then you don't have people fleeing your war-torn country for medical because you have a universal declaration where every country is providing medical. Right. If, if you have a more like, uh, and I think a global constitution will happen. I don't know if it'll happen in our lifetime, but I hope it will. Yeah, but I, I think that the border is largely the the um, extent of the the um, 
how far the Constitution stretches. Right, right. And what a lot of people, when they pushed back on what I was saying, they said, well, until we get rid of the welfare state, that can never happen. And I'm thinking, no, I, I get where they're coming from. Like, you you know, if 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 all the poor people fled to all the rich nations to, to you know, use their resources and their services or whatever, that could be problematic, you know, for those countries to sustain millions of new immigrants right away. Uh, but, you know, there is no such I, I don't believe in a world that does not have a welfare state. I don't I don't see that as a as a uh, realistic vision for the future. I mean, what kind of state replaces the welfare state? I mean, the, there's like idealist, like stateless societies we could talk about, you know, and, and yeah, that's that's very uh, that's fun to think about and all. But, but can really you say like, again what the people said? They they say that for for borders for open borders to occur there needs to be uh, no welfare states remaining. What the fuck does that mean? We yeah. just push all the poor people off into Antarctica and hope it melts and they all drown, and then we have no service economy and then we have no people to populate our capitalism. Like eh, fucking insane. That's. Totally fucking insane. Right, it's fucking insane. It's the just, welfare it's a, state is a cheap way to facilitate the services, a cheap way right. to facilitate constant and consistent growth for the capitalist machine. Right. I don't see the. I don't see what replaces that. I mean, there's. We can argue about the form it takes. We can argue about the extent that it takes. Uh, but in in no system that I can envision in modern in the modern you know, in a modern world where there are, you know, scarcity, I, I don't see how you have a state without a welfare component. I mean, it just doesn't exist. How, even, how do you even reconcile it in the American state with automation coming and taking jobs? How do you reconcile it when some people have access to the best health care and some people mm -hmm. die on the streets? Yeah, no, um, there's, there's the no cold, the common cold. How, how do you reconcile it? There's, there's no, there really is no way to reconcile it. There's the, these, a lot of these people are, don't really understand economics or, or politics. I, I mean, I just, there's, there's, this, it's just, I think people hear the word welfare and they just think that it's giving money to lazy people, but it's, it's really not. It's a system of, of Fuck. laws and, and uh, economic <laughs> policies that ensure that the poor people don't rise up and start chopping the rich people's heads off. I mean, it's, it's me, insurance. Let me tell you, the laziest person in this country is the fucking president right now. <laughs> He's always been the lazy. Yeah. Donald Trump <laughs> just never rat. had to do shit in his whole life. He went to fucking, uh, where did he go? Rodham? Where, where did he go? Uh, the school, his dad Hillary paid his Rodham way. Clinton University. He didn't have to do shit there. And, uh, um, he inherited a bunch of money and then he, he got a bunch of money and, and then he fucked it off. And then a bunch of people bailed him out, including the German bank, um, Deutschmark. And, uh, now, um, he still doesn't have to do shit. He doesn't have to run our country. He just fires off tweets and, and lets the bureaucracy handle it. Uh, my experience with immigrants, <laughs> they sure work a lot harder than. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they work harder than most people I know, a lot of immigrants do. And I mean, in that, yeah, I mean, if, if Donald Trump hadn't been born into money, you know, he, he wouldn't be where he is. That's just the fact of the matter. And I mean, one of the things I think one of the goals of any system of governance, whether it's capitalist, whether it's 
although that's not really a system of governance, but that's an economic system. But a democracy, a republic, a socialist system, most of these systems, the goal should be to increase the material wealth and happiness and security of every citizen. You'd want to grow the middle class, have right. a sustainable middle class that doesn't risk falling apart and turning into the, you know, post French revolution or, you know, okay. uh, Soviet revolution. Like that's something that nobody wants. I mean, that's, that would be horribly destructive. And, and so the point is, is to create a system where people can be relatively, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say wealthy, but secure, have, secure, have a reasonable amount of, uh, both, you know, not just healthcare and, and the basics, but, you know, leisure and, and everything else. Wow. I mean, that is like the ideal and however you want to get to that, it's fine. But, but what, what I don't understand from people who, who say we need to get rid of the welfare state or whatever is how they think that's going to get people there as opposed to getting, you know, just going right back to a system where, where the poor are just in, you know, horrible poverty and the rich are so rich that they need to get their heads chopped off. I just, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. It's, it, it it's, it's hyperbole. Uh, it's everything about it is hyperbolic, but it's true. Like, well, we just, if we want to have a society, we just got to get rid of all the poor people, <laughs> you know, or like there, there's no real way like, okay. The homeless crisis, um, say in California, California has a lot of homeless people in large part because they have a lot of services for homeless people. They also mm -hmm. have a lot of wealthy people that can donate to them. So a lot of homeless people from other states um, that are, you know, to the east of them move into California so they can get basic, you know, dignity given to them or they can be have some services. And then when they get there, the people are like, I don't want all these homeless people on my lawn <laughs> or I don't want my these homeless people around here. And it's like. Well, you know, what you could do is instead of spending your taxes to subsidize fuel, oil, you could build them a house. Or you could build or, or support something like the YMCA, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, to, to um, if, if you want to go the more conservative way, you know, I think the state is better because it's more consistent. But some people believe that it's better to. Uh, support private industry to do that sort of thing. Probably because they think that it makes money in some way. Um, well, there is the whole, I mean, there's, so there's the whole, uh, you know, work, people should be working. You know, we don't want to give money to, you know, people who aren't working. We want, we like want the shit that's happening in Kentucky right now. Yeah. And I mean, on, a, on the one hand, I think that there is lots of truth to the idea that people who are working, are are in a, are in better shape than people who are just getting handouts because work does give you dignity and it occupies For your sure. time and everything else and I think that's absolutely preferable. But yeah. the fact remains that many people who are getting assistance are, you know, either have mental health issues or they're mentally indigent that have been uh, kicked out of some uh, state system because of federal mm -hmm. funding ran out. Yeah, I mean, there's so many, I mean, most of these, a lot of these people, I mean, there are people that are, that are just, you know, lazy. There are those people, but most of the people that you see that are either homeless 
or, you know, in shelters, they're, they're either like abused women or they're, you know, they're, maybe they're addicts, but because just because you're an addict doesn't mean you're, you know, veterans are a big part of it. Yeah. PTSD and various other things, you know, so there's, that's just, it's crazy to me that you should, that this whole work requirement for, for government assistance, I really, really think that's horrible. I think that that, um, the work requirement for Medicaid, okay, so it's requiring an 80-hour work week, or I mean a month, 80 hours per week for the month. No, that's not right. 80, it's an 80 hours a month that you have to work. So if you're like okay. a single mom or something, and you got a lot of kids or two or one or even one kid, you have to squeeze it in to get 80 hours of work a month to get Medicaid, your insurance. But if you, if your kid's sick or something and you can't get that, mm-hmm. then you have to go through a, a process to um, reconcile with the state to continue to get your insurance. <laughs> yeah. Which it's... is fucking insane. Like, it's, it is insane. I, you know, and here's, okay. So here's the thing that I, I, I think that you can focus on the job question without, you know, turning, you know, being a total asshole about it. Like, like we're seeing right now with the Republicans. I do think that, that the, one of the reasons Trump won was because he talked about American jobs. Right. You know, Hillary Clinton. Because people want to work. Yeah. People do want to work and people, yeah. a lot of people who want to work have, have gotten fucked over because just because, not because of necessarily anything hugely pernicious necessarily it's the fact of the matter is is that the economy changes it just does it just changes there's nothing anyone can do about that yes policies influence that free trade deals like nafta influence that but but honestly it just changes with technology with everything else and people lose their jobs and don't know where to go from there and i don't think job training programs are ever enough but i think man why don't the democrats just have that their their central platform be jobs and we're going to create jobs one way or another. We're going to do it through infrastructure spending. We're going to have massive jobs programs. We're going to make sure that people have jobs. And if you were a, you know, working in a factory your whole life and, and you've gotten laid off, like we're going to get you a job somehow. Like there's Holy going to be a shit, your job. FDR. Yeah. I mean, do that. You sound do exactly FDR. like FDR. That, I think that would be a great platform for the Democratic Party. I think it really would be. Oh, and then everything else can follow. I mean, we're at a pretty good like rate of employment right now, but the employment that people have is not always very great. You know, a lot of jobs are not very great. People are working jobs that kind of suck. And right. and I think that it's well within our abilities as a wealthy country with enormous resources to fund better jobs for people. I mean, whenever right. the census comes around, people get a lot of people get jobs that they wouldn't normally have. I say ramp up public spending on jobs programs just fix i mean there's so much infrastructure we could improve right i mean you know whenever i think about donald trump's wall i think you know that would probably be a pretty good jobs program <laughs> i bet we could hire a lot of mexicans to build that thing um that. i don't want to build a wall i think it's so stupid but but you know what i mean like but there could I be know what you mean. Yes. projects like that you know build some more rail like you know no. whatever like just say we're going to get people working in, in jobs that they can be proud of and, yeah. and the people that don't end up working still, well, they're never going to work. But we don't right. want them to die on the street either because that's horrible. That has so, a cost, too. Yes, it does. It has a high cost. Yeah. It has a psychological cost. It has an economic cost. It has 
just it looks yeah. bad up your storefront if there's some poor people right. dying in front of your store. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, you know what? Here in Flagstaff, they're um, one of the uh, really kind of loony bin leftist uh, um, city council people wants to is proposing a, a bill where it would allow homeless people to sleep on the sidewalks and in public parks. I think this is a terrible idea because I in think Flagstaff. Yeah, in Flagstaff. Do you want them to freeze to death on the street? Right. That's that's one problem. The other, you know, there's <laughs> lots of problems that this would create, and it's such a bullshit idea because it's like, hey, we don't want to actually address the problem, so we're going to pretend like we're doing something humane. Oh my god. And it's like, you know what? Why don't you just fund homeless shelters better? You know, why don't we? Why don't we and address not the have issue? the homeless? To talk about specifically Flagstaff, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, no, go for it. The, to talk about Flagstaff, you have a, the Native American population. The, there's a lot of alcohol abuse and drug abuse mm-hmm. amongst everybody, but in the natives, then they can't, if they're drunk, they don't get accepted into the yeah. shelters. Or if they're drinking or something like that. Which is a lot of them. Which because is, that's a big problem with the homeless that's, population. That's what's happening with the homeless population. So instead of saying, oh, we'll let them camp it out on this, the sidewalk and, and die, we can ask our friend Ben Schaefer how many dead people he picks up every year That's too many. as an EMT. Yep. And, but th- this idea that, oh, we'll just let them camp out provides them no security and no safety. And really the people who die the most are the Native Americans, the Navajo and Apache and Cherokee people in Arizona. And Hopi, mm-hmm. but less less Hopi. Right, I, yeah, I hope. Sure. I love the Hopi. Um, but it, the idea that if you're under the influence, you can't get protection is like a really weird Protestant idea. Yeah, it's and so it's stupid. also insurance based mm-hmm. because you don't want to have drunk people in your thing because that's a higher insurance for your if you want to protect people like so i think that if the city of flagstaff really wanted to help people they would provide shelter for anyone and pay to have medical staff on and that would be cheaper than cleaning mm-hmm. up dead bodies off the streets of downtown flag we're just constantly taking um drunk transients to the emergency room or oh my god jail, that's so expensive know. It's just a crazy system, and and it, that's such a band aid bullshit solution to it. I, I just there's, you know, it's, it's like I think our entire policy with the veterans, with uh, the mentally ill, and with homeless people is basically let's sweep them under the rug as much as we can, and oh, hope that it doesn't backfire. But it always does. Right. I mean, it, it, I think the veteran issue is probably one of the most infuriating because every single president talks a good game about you know, helping veterans and all these Congress people talk about it, but they never actually get around to like fixing the problem. And I think part of it, you know what I, th- I, I think part of it is that like they, that a lot of ideological conservatives don't want the uh, veterans healthcare system to work because it's right. socialist, right? It's a, it's a government. Even though it does work. It works. It could work a whole lot better if we just. Yeah. Especially if that funding. <laughs> yeah, if it had funding and if it had, a priority to the same degree that we prioritize um, making bombs and dropping them on people. Right. Um, and I, I just, it's just crazy how neglected veterans are 
still in this day and age, you know, and yet there's constantly used by the Patriot types to, uh, you know, to, I don't know, shit on liberals or whatever. Right. Liberals, they hate our vets. It's like, oh, actually, we would really like to spend more money on. on Actually, I would really not spend money on disabled vets because I would rather not them bomb people. Yeah, become disabled. Have to send our people to war. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's, to me, it's just, it's this endless cycle of frustration with these. This inability in this country to just, again, it's all common sense. I really swear to God, it's common sense. You know, right. uh, and, and, it, and, it, and something like this just very, very left-wing councilwoman who wants to allow this, this you know, homeless people to camp on the streets or whatever, that's not common sense. It just sounds like, it sounds compassionate, but it's not. The same as, you know, any number of policies like the work requirement for welfare or whatever. It sounds right. like, it sounds like all good. It sounds, you know, talk about dignity and everything, but it's, it's, it's not, it's not common sense to think that these, that a lot of these people who need help can just go work. Some of them can, right. but we shouldn't punish everyone who has a problem because there's a few bad apples out there. Or if like say a single uh, mother has a couple kids, we should force her to work instead of taking care of her kids so we can pay for childcare and the insurance. Right. Yeah. We should, I mean, and especially for a country that constantly um, wants talks kids. About family values and talks right. about, you know, the importance of mothers, you know, taking care of their kids, but we're not going to help. Uh, okay. What's, what's, what's this lady's name? That's the, uh, She's a far left council member uh, of the city. Eva. What's her name? Eva Putsova. 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 That sounds like a hope name. What? What is no, she? She's not. What is no, it? No, she's she's um. Uh, I th- she's white. I don't know. I haven't <laughs> met her or anything. Okay. Uh. But okay. So her idea is that. It's going to help homelessness if you let people sleep on the streets. And and in parks. Public parks. Yeah, but the public parks in Flagstaff are the national... F- I mean, well, I that's mean, not going to stop anybody from freezing to death if you exactly. let them sleep in the it's park. It's definitely not going to help. I, I, she, she's the one who kind of pushed the $15 an hour thing here, too. And uh-huh. I think there's, you know, I think there's a lot of good like noble reasons to want a higher minimum wage but i think it's really complicated way beyond what what some people think um right like like in her thing it was you know servers are going to go to 15 dollars an hour too and i just think like for a lot of servers that's not exactly they're already making <laughs> they're making 25 dollars under 30 dollars an hour yeah and so they're going to get a pay cut because of this right. and I, I get it i get that right. maybe like the the tip system isn't ideal and but, you know, I just I just find some, you know, I think it's a lot of like good intentions pave the way to hell. And I do think that people should make more money. But I, I also worry that the minimum wage is not necessarily the best way to tackle um, wage issues in general. You know, in in Flagstaff, the housing crisis is not related to the wage. I mean, it's, it's, it, that's it's a, that's a factor, a, right? such a, a huge issue and has so many facets. Mm-hmm. And raising the wage really crushes the local business that have yes. survived. And it really helps a lot of the big chains. Yeah. It, it, it's, not, it's not right. And to think that 
I guess there is something if people camp on the in the park or this the street and then you have like, you know, patrols going through there to take them to the emergency room, like our friend Ben or something. Yeah. That at least they don't die there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean that doesn't provide shelter. It doesn't yeah, it doesn't provide what the homeless people actually need and what and it and it also you know, I've you I've been to San Francisco. I know what this looks like and it's it's people setting up little cardboard shacks downtown and it's, it's not good for anybody. It's certainly not good for the town. It's not good for the people in the cardboard shacks. It's just, you know, and parks overrun with, uh, you know, homeless people there day and night. It's, you know, I mean, that's not good either. I'm sorry. I'm not, I, I want to help homeless people. I don't think that that's the way to do it. Uh, I don't think that the park, you know, a public park is is just because it's cheap to maintain and doesn't require electricity or, you know, heating or anything like that doesn't mean that that's where the homeless people should be. I mean, it's a park is for everybody. And right. I'm fine with homeless people going to the park. But I don't think that, you know, I've, I've been to places where like an entire park has become basically a place for homeless people and drug addicts to hang out. And, right. and it's not that's not good, you know. Well, I, I want those people in, to have a place to go. It should not necessarily be in where... Iowa, you're not going to have homeless people in parks. You're not going to have that problem. Um, but uh, what in Iowa what we do is we just do what a lot of civilizations have done is we just flush our trash down the river. Yeah. You know, and instead of dealing with the problem, which is... Which is cheap. I I really think it's cheap. There's a lot of abandoned buildings in uh, Iowa, in Davenport, and on the Illinois side, in Moline, Rock Island, East Moline, Silvis. There's a lot of abandoned buildings, and I think that with a little bit of public support and getting the evangelicals out of the situation where they say, no drunk people, you know, which is really weird because... Well, what, for another reason, but I think there's plenty of publicly owned properties to house homeless people. Yeah. You don't need homeless people sitting in parks begging when you can have a place for homeless people to go that's paid for by the state. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean. But I'm a fucking commie. So. <laughs> yeah, I just, I think that, uh, you know, you you say you're a commie and it's funny because. A lot of people think, you know, oh, you want the state to do something. You want the state to provide health care. You want the state to provide housing. And they say, well, you're a commie. But it's like, actually, you don't have to be a commie to think these things. You can actually right. be pretty moderate. You can actually think that there is a place for the, the government and a place for private charity and a place for private enterprise and individuals all to work together in a sort of ad hoc collaborative way that creates a better world. It's not just one thing. I mean, and the funny thing is, is other than diehard libertarians, most conservatives don't even actually believe this because they want their Medicare and they want their social security and they want their, they want, you know, their roads to be paved and they want their schools to be free and they want all this stuff. But you know, you want to go anything past that, the, the commonly accepted status quo. And, and it's now it's socialism. You know, we want Medicare for everyone, socialism. Just Medicare for old people, it's fine. That's totally fine. You know, it's it's weird. It, and I don't understand the thinking there. Because it's it's just it's completely illogical. 
I, I think that it's it's not thinking. It's um it's, it's not reacting. <laughs> yeah, it's reacting. It's not policy, it's just like, well, the people that I want to vote for me think X, Y, and Z. And I've paid money to get data mines and such and such to decide how I should approach this. Yeah. And and people might call me a commie and I, I've been called a commie a lot and I I'm a commie, but what that means is that we're in this together no matter what. It has nothing to do with the economics. It has only to do with how we are going to take care of each other with each other with the money that we have. Yeah. So if I'm in a uh, right now, I live in the Quad Cities, which is a, a multi-state um, collaborative with uh, over about a half a million people. And how are we going to deal with our homeless people? On one side of the river, they deal with it. In the Iowa side of the river, they deal with it in one way. In the Illinois side of the river, they deal with it another way. But I, what I want is that everybody can come together and not just deal with homelessness, but realize that homeless people are people exactly like the people who go to work nine to five, that they have dignity, that they have self, that they have a reason to exist and that they are a valuable asset mm -hmm. to our community and to what it means to be human and to not just say, Oh, if your plant closed down or if you came back from the Iraq war, all fucked up, we should discard you, yeah. but that we should embrace you, that we are human together. If that makes me a commie, I'm a fucking commie. I think it just makes you a humanist. I well, I, I mean, a humanist, I think, I think just means read, they read the classics, and which I do well, that. I, I mean, I think, I think that you can believe. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think that that so many terms are just. I think you're right. I think you're right, though. Like, I'm a humanist. I'm in it for the human. Yeah, and for the I world. I don't think that boundaries that are uh, denigrate humans are important. I think that boundaries that uplift humans are important, especially yeah. when you have boundaries against like tyrannical states or oppressive states, because that provides an avenue for for refugees to flee to a place mm -hmm. where they're welcomed. Yeah, no, that's an interesting that's an interesting controversy. Um, refugees fleeing. I, I think that – so a lot of people say, well, if these people flee their country, then how are they going to ever change their bad government? And I think, well, people are a resource. And if enough people – if you let enough people flee that country, that's going to weaken that bad government. Yeah. Letting people leave and travel to a place that's that has justice and that has, you know, security and get away from those, those dictatorships yeah. – actually weakens those it's that is a strike against them those places don't want people to leave Amen. Soviet union did not want people to leave the soviet union you right. know for a reason or and they didn't want their their satellite states to to uh, let people go either that's the iron curtain was you know it was there for a reason they didn't want right. people to leave they were a resource you let those people leave you let them come to your your country you know you let the jews flee nazi germany and come to your country that's that weakens these horrible regimes. Uh, but people say, well, you know, it's, it actually hurts. It, it hurts their cause because these people aren't, aren't there to fight against 
Well, yeah, I mean, on one level it does, but a lot of these refugees eventually do return home. A lot of political refugees do eventually come back and try to, to make change. And they work for change when they're away, too. I mean, a lot of I, refugees from Cuba and whatnot have worked for change in Cuba from afar, but still they've, they've had the resources now. I, I think that the Syrian conflict is a good example of this. Yeah. If oh, yeah. the European community and the extra European community like America would have been a little bit more welcoming, please run away from that regime. Yeah. Run a, flee from ISIS. Yeah. Flee. And then once we've handled as a, a global um, community, we've handled this threat. We have this already a mass of people that are excited to go back to Syria mm -hmm. to uh, rebuild, to do everything we can. Then that is great for Syria. That's great for Syrians. Yeah. But if, if we, we fling you aside and we throw you aside as, oh, you're trash. We don't want these. There could be, you could be a terrorist. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Then that just creates more terrorism. It also right. creates this um, anti-economy of people that could have been going back to create a, a truly um, global Syrian state. Mm -hmm. And now we have what we have ended up with in Syria is a Bashar state, like this terrible thing. I, I mean, I still think it's better than an ISIS run state, but yeah. I have a, a hard time believing that people re, will repatriate because they're fleeing already persecution or they were fleeing persecution of their own state in the first place when the, uh, the, the Arabic spring happened yeah, and this sort of sentiment happened. So it's like, then you have a lot of um, displaced workers, refugees, and some of them are still going to be um, fodder for um, terrorism and, and such because they have they're they're stateless people, and I think that um, stateless people like any like I had a person tell me the only people that he's scared of are the people that don't care if they die, and I I agree with that. And he, he's a Mexican national um, that that I really respect and love, and it, it's similar. So if the Syrians they flee here and they have no reason to live or, or if they flee to the West, I shouldn't say here because the America, America hasn't accepted enough, but it, the enough Syrian nationals flee to Germany and France and these places and they're not welcomed. They become stateless citizens. Yeah. So they are fodder for terrorism cells, these sorts of things, instead of being welcomed either as um, citizens or as people who are in transit. And I think that that is much scarier than having your borders um, flooded with immigrants. I, yeah, no, I mean, I think that's true. I, I, I think it's comp. I mean, I think always it's complicated when you it's start accepting 
people from a country like Syria. I mean, I understand there's been, you know, horrible terrorist attacks in Europe, um, some of which came from, refu- you know, the, the leaky borders they have. Uh, and I, I think that there's, in a time of of religious extremism, terrorism coming from the Islamic world, you know, I get it. I get the fear that comes along with that. But I still think you just have to, you kind of always have to be be concerned with justice and be concerned with being humane. And ultimately, and shouldn't I think you the- always want whatever your country is, those values should be applied yeah. to the people that come there. Yeah, and we, we spread those values not just through, you know, wars of aggression like Iraq, but through how we treat the rest of the world, you know? And I, I think you win this war that we're in the middle of, this war against, you know, radicalism. And, and there's multiple fronts now. It's not just a war against Islamic radicalism. It's also a war against uh, fascism in the West. And I think that that war is won through... Uh, through a real embrace of the values of of liberty and uh, you know the kind of governance that we that our constitution set up you know representative right. democracy republicanism uh, freedom and and tolerance and everything else that we sort of work towards over the messy history of the United States and of Europe um, and and we have to contend with our bad sides too, which you know, colonialism and and everything else. But I think that right. you win you win this by being a just society, and part of that is you know compassionate policies towards refugees and immigration. You're certainly justified in your policies if you're just to your refugees. <laughs> Not all those refugees are going to be perfect, but generally speaking, no. the kind of people that want to leave either a bad uh, South American state or a bad Middle Eastern state or African state, you know, and I say bad in that the government is bad, you know, or it's war torn or civil war. The people that want to leave are generally people who care about their families. They want to create a better life. They want to, uh, they, they, they more often than not, uh, they want to live, have that American dream or that, that Western dream of, of living a good life and working hard and making their way in the world. And, um, and yeah, they, they, sometimes they'll send money back to their, the countries they come from, but that, you know, that's also, you know, to, to improve the stock of everyone in this world is important. You know, I mean, we rebuilt Europe after world war II. the United States helped rebuild Europe in, in, in a huge economic. And it was awesome for everyone. Huge success. Yeah. It was if we had great. just let Europe suffer and maybe fall under the Soviet regime or whatever, you know, that would have been horrible. So helping the rest of the world is is also helping our, us, you know. It's not selfless. It's definitely still uh, in, in our best interest to, to aid the suffering well, and aid the... You, the you know me. I'm not... I don't believe that altruism exists. No, that's true. Yeah. I believe that all things are cynical. We do every single thing in our own interest. The question is how, uh, if it's actually in our own interest. So rebuilding Europe after World War II was awesome for the American interest. All their economies are collapsed. Their 
manufacturing was collapsed, everything. It just did nothing but good for America. Yeah. And that was not altruism. It was cynicism for yeah. America. <laughs> so if we want to make America great, not again. I, I, I think America is already great, and it has been. But I think that it's really important that we need to keep in mind that we're not doing it for altruism. That it's often overlapping our interests and other countries' interests. Yeah. So if we want to help a country, it's good for us, but it also should be good for them. And with Trump going to this Davos, which is a weirdly named, like, uh, you know it's about the, this? The, yeah, the rich. It's yeah. it's the gathering of the rich and powerful. Oh, basically, uh, is that what it is? Oh yeah. The, the I thought it was the of the African countries. No, the it's the the Davos the Davos World Economic Forum. Yes. Yeah, it's it's like. It's like that's the, rich, that's rich, the rich, African. Rich, um, rich. No. What? No. Is it? No. It's it's. Uh, yeah, it's the African culture. Um, it's it's African states. He's having to confront. I don't think it's specific the, uh, the people that he called shitholes, shitholes, or whatever. Um, yeah, well, he is going to have to, because it's international, he's definitely going to have well, to. Well, it's not, it's, their, um, what did their, their, uh, their theme was, um, how to provide, uh, prosperity in a fractured world or something? Yeah. Well, here's what, okay, so, the, it's, uh. The meeting brings together some 2,500 top business leaders, international political leaders, economists, and journalists. So it's like a big gathering of the powerful. And then they talk about how they can make the world better. But um, why? Uh, I Wait, okay. So it's 2,500. Because I, I was listening to a few uh, podcasts and newscasts on it earlier, and it didn't seem like... Um, that Donald Trump's um, populist agenda is going to be popular. No, it won't be because a lot of these people don't think he's smart about economics. <laughs> but even though they're making tons of money in the stock market right now, well, in the U.S. They're, stock they're market. They're smart to think that that's Trump. <laughs> they know that I that's see. more complicated I than see. Trump. I see. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, that, that whole thing is like... That's, it, that's, you think it's just that's, news that's, that's where the, the CEOs of like a whole bunch of companies come together and all of, from all over the world. It's, and uh, some of these CEOs own com whole countries, right? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, he's going to be an outsider in that kind of event though. See, mostly global, like multinational company CEOs and whatnot don't, don't want the America first anti-globalist stuff. You know, right. they don't want protectionism. They don't want tariffs on solar panels. They right. don't want tariffs on washing machines. They want, they want to be able to do business without the government sticking its nose in it, you know? So he's, <laughs> he's going to be, a, he's going to be an outsider there for sure. Um, 
And so, also, um, he'll be the only illiterate person there. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, he's, so he's it's probably kind of like a wet dream for him, though. He's always, I think Trump's mo- main motivation is to be in the cool kids club, you know? He just wants so badly <laughs> to be one of the rich and famous and to rub elbows with the right people and to have that status. And uh, So you think he's be, not actually rich enough? No, he never has. He's, you know, I think, you know, I've heard... Uh, people talk about this, but you know, he's, he's always, you know, he's a New Yorker, but he's never been able to hang out with the, the real elites in New York, no matter how rich he got, he was always kind of snubbed by them. So his whole I, I heard it's his personal factor, hygiene. Well, that's probably part of it. And then his, uh, just personality in general. <laughs> uh, and illiteracy. Well, the illiteracy doesn't help or the tiny hands. People just get creeped out by that stuff. Like he tries right. to grab a pussy and it's like, his hands are so small. It's weird. It's like, everybody's worded out. <laughs> Women are like, you know, you tried to grab my pussy, but your hand's so small. Didn't work out. Like better luck next time. It's just awkward. Awkward for everyone. <laughs> awkward. By the time you got there, I was in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> At least he's only 239 pounds though. Oh God! What what is up with that? I don't know. Just, you think that he like paid the, or how can he pay the doc? I I don't understand. He had uh, Sarah Huckabee tinker with the uh, scale before oh, the doctor's God. appointment. She went in there and sabotaged it. So when he got on there, it showed way way less. So, so she what it is is Sarah Huckabee went in looking like him. <laughs> I think she That's might weigh more her than height and pounds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then when people tried to like inspect her area and stuff, she was like, no, no, I'm the president. <laughs> because she had a lot of baggage in there. And <laughs> oh, I'm pretty Lord. sure. Oh, Lord. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap this up now. Um, Dharma Bonham's podcast. Bonham. Um, I just thought of that poem by John Donne, No Man is an Island. You know that poem? Yeah. That's a good poem. Yeah, I think I it really talks about – I'm going to read it real quick because, uh, to sort of finish this off because I think it really right. speaks to what we were talking about with, with you know, helping other people, like not just being America first. Um, okay. All right. So it's No Man is an Island Entire of Itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea – Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as any manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. I just love that poem. It's one of my favorite poems. Because it really, I just, it speaks to kind of what I think about the world and about what our, our policies should be as a country and our practices should be as individuals. And that isn't to say, you know, we need to embrace full-on uh, uh, communism or, or uh, collectivism or whatever you want to say. But I don't like the idea that we're all living in this rat race of self-interest that, that doesn't take into account any, any you know, if, if there is such a thing as self-interest, like you were saying, cynicism, it's, it's, if altruism isn't true, it's because we acknowledge that no man is an island. You know, we, right. we acknowledge that that is not a practical and not a good way of it's not a it's not the good life to think it's that not way. The good life. Can and I can not, I lend a quote from my hero? Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Lend away. 
No, keep going. No, I, I was just going to say this, uh, this Ursula whole. K, Ursula K died. I know, I know. It's very sad. Oh my God. She's she shaped. She lived, she lived a great fantasy. life. Fantasy. She was yes. 88. Yes. I, I, I don't think it's tragic that she died, but she shaped the world in ways that people don't understand. Because they think that all of the fantasy was Tolkien. But really, Ursula K's like, Ursi is like years after great, the Lord of the Rings series. is published. It's, and um, what she did, but uh, uh, if I could just borrow one quote, like she says, what sane person could live in this world and not be crazy? That's <laughs> so, how. Yeah. I love you, Ursula. I thought The Left Hand of Darkness was a really great book also. Yeah? Yeah. Did you read that? I thought Lades of Heaven. I don't think I've read that one. I need to, I need to, now that she's, <laughs> this is a good excuse now to go read some more of her books. Um, oh my God. Her sci-fi is, uh, is so awesome, but her, uh, okay, well, if we're going there, um, Earthsea, <laughs> Earthsea, yeah, um, the Earthsea trilogy happens from about, uh, I, I believe from, 68 to 74, her three books um, of the the story, the epic of Ged, the Archmage mm-hmm. and stuff. And it's really interesting. But then in the 90s, um, she um, has to reconcile her own misogyny, um, her own carried things. And so she writes um, two more books, uh, Tehenu and The Other Wind, which um, kind of bring the whole story full circle and reconcile her some of the quotes that she makes in her earlier books like weak is woman's magic and these sorts of things hmm. to to say that the world is not just this man's world because she wrote about a man's world uh, and uh so uh, her fantasy i think which is a lot smaller than her sci-fi canon yeah is much more impressive in the scope of the topic it, it covers life, death, what it means to be a man, a woman, and, and what it means to live and die as a human. And and, and I love her sci-fi stuff too. <laughs> well, there we go. That's our our. Uh, we need to pick a book for the Dharma Bums book club. So maybe we should do a Le Guin yeah. book. That'd be interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I'm going to wrap this Dharma Bums back for 2018 to solve all the world's problems because <laughs> we've definitely solved them here. We pretty much did. Um, I, th- yeah, I think I'm pretty sure we're one step closer to a a, a better future. Oh, with- didn't we start the show saying they were already all solved? Oh, oh. we were being sardonic. It was sardonic. It was sardonicism. Uh, and, and <laughs> we'll put them in a sardine can then. Sardinic, yeah. Sardinic can. Thanks for listening. We will see you later. Come every chance you can. (laughs) Peace.